Welcome to the daily podcast of the One Year Bible Tour Guide. Today is April 11th, and my name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, United States of America. I have the privilege of reading the scriptures every day with you, my friends, as we read through the entirety of the Old and New Testaments together. We look forward to a fresh encounter with God's Word today, and then spending some time together reflecting upon what we have heard, so that we're not hearers only, but doers. Yesterday, we crossed a number of important thresholds in our journey. We left behind the book of Moses, completing the book of Deuteronomy, and then started the book of Joshua, eagerly expecting to witness the nation of Israel crossing the Jordan River and entering into the Promised Land. We also reached a significant mile marker as it was our hundredth day since we set out on our journey in Genesis chapter 1 on January 1st. Today we crossed the River Jordan. Once again we will see the hand of God making a way for God's people when there was no way. My prayer is that we would recognize afresh who God is and what He's done through His Son, the greater Joshua, Yeshua, and see how our old life in Adam was crucified and buried in identification with him. That's our Jordan River reckoning. And that as those who are risen with him, we can enter into the promised inheritance that he has given us in the newness of his life. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your holy word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start now with Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Israel crosses the Jordan. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about two thousand cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests Bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, 
And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests, bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Twelve Memorial Stones from the Jordan Chapter 4 When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About forty thousand, ready for war, passed over before the Lord for battle, to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, 
What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And this is the end of our reading from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Now let's take a few moments to reflect. Joshua had seen a lot in his lifetime. He was born into slavery in Egypt. He had witnessed God raising up Moses and providing deliverance for his fellow Jews from their Egyptian oppressors. He had witnessed their supernatural exemption from the plagues, including salvation from the sentence of death on the firstborn sons. He himself was the firstborn son of none, and therefore he knew the value of putting faith in God's plan of salvation. He knew personally what it meant to be saved by the blood of the Lamb. He experienced the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and dry land and the destruction of the enemy who pursued them. He witnessed the provision of God's guidance of the cloud by day and the fire by night, the manna from heaven, the revelation of God's righteousness in the law, and the establishment of the nation of Israel in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. Now Moses was dead, and Joshua finds himself as the new leader. He had been appointed for this. The Lord had commissioned him to be Moses' successor in Deuteronomy 31, verse 23. As they came to what appeared to be an impassable Jordan River in its flood stage, all Israel looked to Joshua to see what he would do. The average width of the riverbed is about 98 feet, while the depth ranges from 3 to 13 feet. During flood times, the Jordan swells to a width of one-half mile in certain areas. The Zondervan New Atlas of the Bible reports, quote, Early explorers report that at flood stage, certain portions of the river reach to a width of almost one mile. End quote. How would over a million people cross this river? They had no boats to ferry them. It was too deep to ford. They could not swim in the torrent of the flood waters. The people looked to Joshua as they looked to Moses, and Joshua looked to the Lord. Joshua rose early to pursue the Lord's business. Joshua knew that he needed divine instruction. He needed God's intervention. Like Moses before him in Exodus 24, verse 4 and 34, verse 4, and King David in Psalm 57, 8, Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 29:10, and the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, he arose early in the morning to meditate upon God's word in Joshua 1, 8, and he prayed. Prayer and meditation upon God's truth nurture our faith, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We are to meditate upon God's word both day and night. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Psalm 63, verse 6. 77, verse 6. And 119, verse 148. The modern message is, have faith in faith. An example of this is the lyrics from the Prince of Egypt's When You Believe. Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe. Somehow you will. You will when you believe. People are led to believe that if you believe hard enough, it will come true. This is misguided mind-over-matter metaphysics, new thought, positive thinking, or word-of-faith folklore. The biblical message is have faith in God, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Faith always takes an object, meaning that faith does not look to itself. Faith is not a force in itself. It is the activity of transferring our trust to what we know to be a trustworthy object, no one is more trustworthy than God, 
and nothing more trustworthy than his word. When people would express their appreciation to the late preacher John Stott, complimenting him on the delivery of a message, he developed a habitual response to what is often an awkward moment for a preacher who is so aware of his inadequacies in the midst of God's sufficiency. He would reply, What are you going to do about it? In other words, don't just appreciate the word, take action. Faith leads to action. When we look at faith's hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11, they are all people who did something with what they heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Christ, Romans chapter 10 verse 17. They acted because they believed God. They gave evidence that they believed God by doing what he told them to do. And what he told them to do was not their own idea. Abel offered what God required. Noah built the ark he was told to build. Abraham left his comfort zone in the idolatrous city Ur of the Chaldees and headed out to the promised land because God told him to. These heroes of faith did what they were told, exhibiting faith in God's promise. Joshua will do the same. He follows instructions and gives deference to the Ark of the Covenant which represented the presence of God's testimony in Christ. They were told to keep a distance of at least 1,000 yards from the Ark. This command for safe distancing would have ensured maximum visibility of the Ark before all the people. The Ark of the Covenant, which we have seen as a constant type of Christ, must lead the way and be kept in full view with 2,000 cubits distance. Do we take precautions to be sure that others can see Christ more clearly? The Ark must be borne on two staves of wood by the Kohathites, who are to stand in the middle of the river, allowing for the children of Israel to cross over on dry ground. Chapter 3, verse 17. When we, as New Testament believer priests, take up our cross, our personal identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and stand secure in the midst of the trial, we can make way for others to cross the river as well. The officers remind the people not to be cocksure, familiar, or presumptuous, but give reverence and undivided attention to what God is saying and doing, for you have not traveled this way before. Joshua chapter 3 verse 4 The priests were to go to the edge of the water and stand by faith in the Jordan. They had to get their feet wet in this matter. They had to trust God personally in order to lead the way for others. Notice the admonitions. Consecrate yourselves. Verse 5. Come closer. Listen. Verse 9. The children of Israel were to purify themselves for three days and then cross the Jordan. God promised that the water would be cut off and that the people would be able to cross over while the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant stood in their place in the Jordan. It is because Christ, the Ark of the Covenant, stood in our place in the Jordan that we can pass from death to life and enter into what has been promised to us in Him. God also promises that He would remain among them and would win their battles, driving out the enemy according to His word in chapter 3 verse 10. The children of Israel go to sleep that night having heard Joshua's promise, Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Chapter 3 verse 5. On the following day, the miracle happens. The children of Israel cross over the Jordan River as they had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. Notice the prophetic picture. The waters were cut off a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. The finished work of Christ, the last Adam, completely cuts off the flow of the natural inheritance of the fallen first man Adam in verse 16. It is only on the basis of the finished work of redemption, figured by the Ark of the Covenant, that God's elect can cross over. 
The crossing of the Jordan prefigures our own deliverance through identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Jordan speaks of the natural man. The river travels some 200 miles from its source in Mount Hermon, twisting and winding as if attempting to avoid its destination in death, the Dead Sea. We know that Jesus' baptism by John at the Jordan prefigured his identification with Adam's race, the natural man, in death, burial, and resurrection. In chapter 4, 12 stones tell the story. Chapter 4 gives us a prophetic picture of how God reckons those who believe him, those who take action relying on his word. Twelve stones, symbolizing the twelve tribes, God's people, are put into, that is baptized, in the Jordan River, picturing identification with the death of Christ. The twelve stones are placed into the watery grave of the Jordan, even as believers are reckoned as being put or baptized into Christ. From God's point of view, they are securely positioned, risen and seated in Christ in the heavenly places. Romans 6, 4 Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. In Ephesians 2, 6 Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Even though two and a half tribes would choose to settle on the close side of the Jordan, all twelve stones are to be reckoned as having crossed over and positioned at Gilgal in the promised land. This is a wonderful picture of positional truth. Even if we fail to experientially settle into the promised land fully, God reckons on us in Christ as having passed clean over Jordan. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1 in the King James Version. When all the nation of Israel had crossed over on dry ground, Joshua commanded that one man from each of the twelve tribes were to get a stone from the midst of the Jordan, now that it was suddenly made dry, and make a memorial on the promised land side of the river. In Joshua chapter 4 verses 21 through 24, He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now let's go to the New Testament as we read the Gospel according to Luke chapter 14 from verse 7 through verse 35. The Parable of the Wedding Feast Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. 
But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If any one comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel according to Luke. Our New Testament reading started with the parable of the guests. Jesus exposes the me-first attitude that resided in the hearts of many at the meal he was attending. He knows what resides in the hearts of fallen man. His parable illustrates that in the future, those who exalt themselves will be abased. There is a need for a humble response to the higher and greater invitation of the gospel, the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which outshines all prestigious banquets that may be known in this life. We should recognize the obvious truth about ourselves. We are sinners in need of saving grace. To promote ourselves to the head of the table will only lead to our own eventual shame. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Luke 14, verse 11. A man reclining at the dinner table with Jesus makes a presumptuous statement that Jesus corrects. 
The guest assumes that everyone will eat bread in the kingdom of God, and most likely presumptuously thinks that he himself will be doing so, without checking his own responsiveness to God's call to salvation on Christ's terms. Jesus tells the parable of a great dinner in which all those who were invited refused, making various excuses. One needed to check out his real estate investments. Another had to put to test his livestock investment. Another excused himself because he was newly married and needed to give more attention to his wife. The master of the feast then turned to his slave and commanded him to fill his house with the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, and then go out to the highways and get the transients and those sleeping on the roadside that his house be full. Discipleship requires an honest assessment of our need for Christ. Jesus makes a claim on people's affections that would be considered blasphemous were it not for the fact that he was God. He demands supremacy in human allegiance and affections equivalent to worship. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Matthew 22, verse 37. Here Jesus is making the same claim on our hearts, souls, and minds. Matthew's Gospel puts Jesus' call to allegiance this way, He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, verse 37. Luke's Gospel expresses the supremacy Jesus is to have in our affections and our calculations this way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus, a God-fearing Jew, was conscious of the Torah and his mission to fulfill it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. For him to call for supreme allegiance above what the law required for honoring parents, loving one's neighbor as oneself, is making the claim that he indeed is the God of Moses to whom all honor is due. Discipleship requires a higher and prior commitment to Christ above all else, even our God-given commitments and affection for parent, spouse, children, siblings, and one's own life. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Discipleship is not a calling for an elite group of Christians. Discipleship is the calling for all Christians. All Christians are disciples. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is describing what a disciple looks like, how he or she thinks and acts. This kind of discipleship is what true Christianity looks like. Jesus warns of the deception of thinking that we can be a Christian without Christ as our all in all. It would be as foolish to do that as to take on a public construction project costing millions, like building a central tower in town or a public high school with your own private funds from a minimum wage salary, or going to war against an army that is twice the size of your own. Luke 14, verses 28 through 32. In verse 32, he explains that a wise builder will honestly assess his own condition and resources before taking on such a project. For him to foolishly go ahead with it, banking on his own resources would lead to bankruptcy and shame. In the case of warring armies, a wise general knows when to seek for terms of peace. We cannot be disciples without admitting our own bankruptcy. In ourselves we cannot live the Christian life. Only Christ can. Therefore, we are to surrender all that we are and all that we have to all that he is. We cannot lay hold to our own possessions and rely upon our natural endowments to be a disciple. 
we must forsake all and lay hold of him, recognizing our need for all that he is and all that he has to give. He is our all-sufficient Savior. The final picture is that of salt. Salt is a precious commodity and was used to barter for services. We hear the expression of a person being worth his salt. The word salary comes from the Latin word for salt, salarium. People sometimes receive their wages in the form of salt. Salt is good and has value for seasoning, preserving, stirring thirst, raising blood pressure. But if it is not true salt, but counterfeit salt, of what good is it? So is a professing Christian who lacks the life of Christ. It may make an appearance to be salt, but it exhibits none of the qualities to prove its saltiness. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, and today we read from Psalm 80, verses 1 through 19. Restore us, O Lord, to the choir master, according to Lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Here we go, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand the Son of Man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life. We will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. And this is the end of our reading from the book of Psalms. Psalm 80 is a prayer to God, the God of Israel, who dwells in the heavenly tabernacle, prefigured in the earthly tabernacle with the Ark of the Testimony. The psalmist is asking for rescue. Jesus' name means God to the rescue, and it is the ultimate answer to this kind of prayer. Three calls from Asaph to restore us. First, Psalm 80, verse 3. O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Psalm 80, verse 7. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Psalm 80, verse 19. O Lord God of hosts, restore us, cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. The call to be restored demands the propitiation, redemption, ransom, and regeneration, 
sanctification, and glorification that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The psalmist reminds the Lord of their history and the great work that he has done to rescue them in the past. They have slipped from their condition and need to be restored. This echoes the prayer for revival. Verse 18 points to Christ, our hope for full restoration. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the Son of Man, whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Restoration is pictured as the light of the Lord's countenance shining upon us through the finished work of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This is also pictured in the blessing that Moses gave Aaron to give to the priests. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Let's thank God for the restoration accomplished on our behalf through Jesus Christ. Today's proverb, the pathway of deathless life is what we find in Jesus, for he's the way, the truth, and the life in John 14:6. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Let's be diligent in laying hold of the life that is given to us in Christ, who is our righteousness. Now let's pray. Gracious God and faithful Deliverer, thank you for reminding us that you are with us, leading us, guiding us, and instructing us. Help us to keep your Holy Son, Jesus, ever in our view, and may we never obstruct others from seeing him. We recognize that through our faith union with him and his death, burial, and resurrection, we are positioned in him before your throne, far above all principalities and powers, and have been qualified to receive our inheritance in him. We do not take your blessings for granted. We delight in the merciful light of your countenance and the peace wrought for us by our Savior's work on the cross. Help us to walk in the light as he is in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining with us on our journey today. I'm glad we were able to cross the River Jordan and also to see what Christ has accomplished as our greater Joshua and resting in what he's provided of our marvelous inheritance. Remember, you can subscribe to the One Year Bible Tour Guide wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Music, Google, you name it. We look forward to being with you tomorrow as we continue in the book of Joshua and the Gospel of Luke. And if you have any comments or questions, you can contact us at podcast at newlife.org. If you want to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you're welcome to visit our website, newlife.org or newlifefinearts.org. Have a great day and be salt and be light for the glory of God. Shalom. Shalom.